Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. According to the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, an estimated 1 in 13 Americans have asthma. Doctors Sumita Khatri and Teal Hallstrand are here to speak with us about a new clinical practice guideline on fractional exhaled nitric oxide, or pheno, to help guide asthma treatment. Dr. Khatri is a professor of medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine, director of the Asthma Center, vice chair of the Respiratory Institute, and an adult pulmonary and ICU physician at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. Dr. Teal Hallstrand is a professor of medicine at the University of Washington, a physician scientist, and the director of pulmonary diagnostics at the University of Washington Montlake in Seattle, Washington. Thank you for joining us today. Can you please give us an overview of the new clinical practice guideline? Sure, maybe I'll go first on this one because I think Teal and I were both so excited about this new concept. It was unique. We have been maybe peripherally or aware of how guidelines have been set forth by ATS, and they were trying something new, something a little bit more agile and rapid so that it doesn't lose its luster by the time it's published. And so Kevin Wilson reached out to us that the ATS leadership was offering three questions for us to potentially consider for exhaled nitric oxide pheno measurement. And we knew the timeline was quick. We were up for the challenge. And we started with this very unique process of coming up with a committee, a multidisciplinary panel that we assembled with a group that was expert in clinical care, research, and evidence-based methodology. And uh, the success of this would not have happened without that collaborative expertise. And I'll be honest with you, I'm a fan of that rapid turnaround. We've been waiting for guidelines quite a bit throughout our careers. And the fact that this sets a new standard, we needed to get the information quickly out as evidence is always changing. And I know we were both initially contacted in March of 2019 and launched the project in May of 2020. And of course, we had that little hiccup of world affairs going on, but we still were able to manage to turn it out with minor revisions in May of 2021 and publication, as you know, here in November. So we're very proud of the process and the collaboration and the spirit in which it was all brought together. Atil, maybe you can speak to how we chose the question. Sure. There was an original guideline in this area on the use of exhaled nitric oxide that was published quite a long time ago. I'm not sure that I know the exact number of years, like 10 years ago. And it's been highly cited and it gave kind of the rationale for using exhaled nitric oxide as a measurement in asthma. And it also proposed initial kind of cut points in which you might use to make clinical decisions. And I think the main intent was to try to identify the most important single question that could be addressed that would be most useful to clinicians to take this forward from that initial guideline, which was a very rough outline of the reason that we use exhaled nitric oxide and the cut points. And in that initial, in case you're not familiar with that guideline, the initial guideline suggested that people with elevated levels above 50 in adults would be people that had uncontrolled inflammation and might benefit from intensifying their therapy and 
And then below 25 was low exhaled nitric oxide, suggesting that airway inflammation was well controlled. And since that guideline was published, everyone recognizes that there's quite a bit of literature that's been developed. And as Samita was saying, I think to be agile, since these kind of guidelines take a lot of effort as far as analysis, we decided to choose the question that was the most important. And so leadership from the American Thoracic Society proposed three potential questions. And so Sumita and I actually, we agreed to co-chair this new guideline. And I think the first thing that we did that was important is we assembled a group of people to help us with identifying these questions. We identified experts in the field, mostly based on our own networking and familiarity with people that we thought would be good for this. And then we had a team of methodologists, of three methodologists who helped us with this. And once we assembled the team, we actually voted on which question was the most important. And those three questions were essentially about the question we chose, which is really, should you use exhaled nitric oxide to make clinical decisions and initial evaluation of someone with asthma, not necessarily their first valuation, but during your first initial evaluation. And then the other two questions were essentially about whether or not it could be used as a diagnostic tool to decide if someone has asthma and to be used as monitoring. So we had the committee vote and we chose that question as the highest priority. Once we had the committee formed, we then used the process called GRADE. And I don't think I should go into the exact details about the statistical methods, but one of the key things about GRADE is it's a, a way to use a systematic literature review. But I think to me, the key, the key thing there is that you use you have to pre-specify what outcomes you're going to look at and you have to prioritize the outcomes. And so we also used our committee to decide which were the highest priority outcomes beforehand. Things that we thought were high priority are in the table and in the guideline, but these things are things that we all know as clinicians that are very important, such as asthma exacerbations or asthma attacks and need for corticosteroid bursts, things that we use when we encounter people that have uncontrolled asthma. We also prioritize that. And then we did, with the methodologist's help, which I have to say was incredible, we did a systematic review and identified the literature that would help us answer this one most important question with these priorities. And the recommendation that we made was from this very rigorous process and was the result not only, you know, we essentially met every few months really for, for quite a while to go over these things to come up with our recommendation. So Samita, did you want to comment further on that? Well, actually, uh, you did such a nice job of explaining how this all came to be. I thought it would be helpful for me to share what our goal was, which was to provide guidance to clinicians who manage adults and children who are four years of age and older. And our audience is very much the people we're hoping are listening to this podcast, which is pulmonologists, 
allergists, and primary care physicians, the chronic management of asthma. All along, as much as I love the translational research that went into the discovery of exhaled nitric oxide and how it's used in clinical care, I wanted it to be practical, less esoteric, and where clinical judgment plays a significant role. So we'll go into what we found as our results, but I really would like to highlight for people who are interested in this guideline to look at figure two, because it's sort of like the gold guidelines. We wanted it to have an assessment of whether asthma is controlled and exacerbations are low versus asthma exacerbations are high and use of steroids are high. And where does that factor into the nitric oxide levels, which we weren't actually putting cut points for? We, we kind of assumed it was like a slide rule gradient, which allows for clinical interpretation. And we felt that that was very, very important to do. And when we looked at the critical outcomes, you, know, you talked about asthma control, use of oral steroids, exacerbation rate, ER or urgent care or hospitalizations. That's what people thought would be important. So as it comes out, we found that the outcomes where pheno was most helpful was when we were looking at use of oral corticosteroid or oral corticosteroid use rate, as well as acute exacerbations. So very patient reported outcome related. And this is why we think that the clinician will find this to be very helpful. Right. The outcome measurements that we had pre-specified as being the most important clinically were actually the outcomes where there was the strongest evidence. So that was an important point. What studies and how many did the expert panel evaluate and consider when making this recommendation? So, you know, we started really broadly with two approaches. One was using a structured literature review that the methodologists helped us with. And then we also started looking at other studies that had done similar systematic reviews to help inform which studies that should be included. And then the methodologist looked at these studies individually and determined which studies were most appropriate for our question. And remarkably, that whittled it down over the selection process, just down to 20 studies that were used to inform the question that we we addressed. So maybe I'll turn it over to Sumita to further. Yeah, sure. It was quite a Herculean task. I think you and I felt like we were sitting pretty for a while while the methodologists were working away. And we knew when they came back to us, our work would begin. But they really put so much work into this. It was amazing. They have programs, but they had to do a lot by hand too. And then what we found as a result, drumroll, is that these studies showed that with a moderate certainty of evidence, two things, that asthma exacerbations were lower and favored the intervention of measuring pheno, and that oral steroid use was lower and favored the intervention of measuring pheno for that. So more specifically for the asthma exacerbation outcome, that there were 10 trials with moderate certainty, and that showed that the risk ratio was 0.72 with the absolute effect with pheno having 111 fewer exacerbations per thousand people. Meanwhile, the oral steroid use study was lower and showed that in six trials with moderate certainty that the risk ratio was 0.79 with the absolute effect of 69 fewer per thousand. 
And the panel concluded that the balance of effects probably favors this intervention due to the moderate costs and probable favorite cost effectiveness. And that although this is a conditional recommendation that we felt that the risk versus benefit was reasonable for these kind of outcomes where we know that there's so much morbidity, not only for kids in particular where the kids studies, the children's studies showed this uh, more of a stronger link, but for kids and adults, the, the oral corticosteroid usage causes so much morbidity. And then, of course, exacerbations result in so much symptomatology and healthcare utilization, which we couldn't quite measure specifically, but we could extrapolate that these were two very important outcomes that would be meaningful for clinicians and meaningful for patients. So we were trying to keep the patient at the center of our analysis. Yeah. You know, one thing I might just comment and add to that is that we provided a conditional recommendation, which maybe makes it sound like we're uncertain about the recommendation. But, you know, that conditional recommendation is really based on the strength of the evidence. And the fact that we only had 20 trials that really very specifically addressed in a rigorous manner, the, the question is really the reason for a conditional recommendation. Had there been more studies, we would have been able to be more certain about the outcome. But as uh, Dr. Katri was saying, actually that the difference is the reduction in exacerbation frequency and or oral corticosteroid use are actually very large effects. And so we're only saying that we're not as certain as we might like to be about these effects, but the effects of using exhaled nitric oxide to guide asthma treatment really is associated with very large effects uh, as far as reducing the things that we thought as clinicians were the most important, which are exacerbation frequency, oral corticosteroid use, and, and similar outcomes. What gaps exist in this research? Our kind of aspirational goal in addressing the one question about the use of exhaled nitric oxide in making decisions in the clinic is in part the absence of specific cut points. Since the initial guideline where there are these broad categories, a lot of the research has used more narrowly defined cut points. However, the studies were not conducted in a manner in which we could kind of combine that data to give a specific cut point with an action, which is why clinical judgment is really an essential component. We can't say that if your exhaled nitric oxide is 40, you have a specific action. And part of that is because there are some individuals with asthma, as we have learned over the last 20 years about subgroups of patients with asthma. Some groups of patients with asthma have elevated exhaled nitric oxide that really tracks very well with the severity of their disease and the activity of their disease. But there's other groups of patients, especially obesity-associated asthma and people that smoke as part of their disease. And those people tend to have lower exhaled nitric oxide and it makes it maybe less clear about exhaled nitric oxide and inflammation. And so we were unable to identify specific cut points. So that's a gap that could potentially be addressed if there are more studies that look at a gap, that look at cut points and specific subgroups. But as it is right now, really clinical 
judgment is needed, really identifying who that patient is that you're seeing and what their exhaled nitric oxide and, and kind of integrating that together. I think that's a big gap. I think I'll, I'll let Dr. Katri maybe talk about that and then maybe I'll talk about addressing the other questions as well. As you were mentioning all of this, I was also thinking that a gap is the pragmatic trials that you were talking about initially, that, you know, how is somebody who's nitric oxide measurement naive and establishing a diagnosis of asthma and over time as you treat them, how does it change? And also like when we look at all of the other measures like asthma control and uh, oral corticosteroid use, better logging of that information would be helpful during these clinical trials. You know that the asthma control questionnaire as well as the ACT, asthma control test, we were not able to pull those numbers because perhaps we might have seen something for asthma control. So I would recommend for any future investigators use both of those metrics and then perhaps we can use them and qualitatively and quantitatively study them in the future. So that as well as biomarker and profiling and phenotyping as we go along and looking at nitric oxide that way. Those were my other thoughts as far as how I would do it a little bit differently. Yeah, exactly. As we both know, when we're in the clinic, sometimes uh, exhaled nitric oxide is extremely helpful. Oftentimes, you know that when you first measure it in someone and their history, which, which allows us to use that clinical judgment. And so there aren't studies that specifically excluded people that we expect to have a low exhaled nitric oxide, such as obesity-associated asthma, which is actually a fairly large fraction of the patients with asthma. So, you know, I think one gap in the knowledge really that we didn't address very clearly in this guideline is that if you have a subgroup in which you really expect there to be elevated exhaled nitric oxide, that how effective is it in that subgroup? It's likely extremely effective in that group. So, you know, another thing that we didn't address in the guidelines is how effective this is for using the newer biologic agents. And, you know, in some cases, we would anticipate that it'll be quite effective at guiding therapy for type 2 asthma. So, but the other big gap are the two other big questions, which is how effective is it to monitor asthma? So once you measure it in the clinic, then subsequently measuring it again, how effective is it in that instance? We didn't address that systematically in this guideline, and maybe a future guideline would be on that topic. And then the other topic, which is making a diagnosis of asthma, which is really a key under-recognized area that, you know, many people, especially with mild to moderate asthma, who are diagnosed, are diagnosed based on, largely on their symptoms, and in some cases based on their lung function. But exhaled nitric oxide is one potential diagnostic test, in addition to other tests such as bronchoprovocation tests, and how well it, it works versus using other tests is a key gap in the knowledge, I think, as well. What would you all say are the overall take-home messages from our conversation today? Sure, I'll take a stab at the take-home message I'd like clinicians to have, and that is if they were going to use their clinical judgment, similar to how we've outlined in figure two, that the methodologist helped 
put this into statistical words. I like pictures. I need to sort of imagine something as I'm seeing a patient. So that's why I was hell bent on having a, a figure like this. But what the methodologist said is, Shumita, what you actually mean is that the decision of an individual clinician to use a lower phenol value to identify persistent inflammation means that the sensitivity to detect inflammation is being prioritized over the specificity that a change in treatment will make a difference. Similarly, a decision to use a higher phenol value assigns greater priority to the specificity of the finding at the cost of reducing sensitivity. So it's just a beautiful way of wrapping it together. Like you may have a risk benefit slide rule that you're using. You know, what is the benefit versus the risk? What is the outcome I want versus the avoidance of a poor outcome? So I'm hoping that this is helpful and just have really appreciated the opportunity to work with Teal on this. I think we brought very different skill sets that were also complementary to hopefully really contribute to the literature. I, I couldn't be more proud of what we've done together. I would agree that this process that we went through together really was extremely effective at combining uh, statistical know-how and clinical judgment and clinical background to come up with a really useful and clear recommendation. And so it's really been a great process and it's been wonderful working with you, Samita, as well, on, as well as all the wonderful team. Yes, international yeah. team, yes. <laughs> Well, thank you both for joining us. We really appreciate you on the podcast today and for all of your hard work on this. Thank you. It was a pleasure to join you today. Yes, it was a pleasure to be on with you today. Thank you.